right, let me put this somewhere right here. My name is Ashley. I am, as Ryan said, a second semester student at Claremont School of Theology. Uh, I'm very, very much um, a closeted, reformed evangelical, wrapped up in a very feminist body. Uh, I love feminist theology, but I also love my evangelical roots. So I'm not a recovering evangelical. I'm someone who still loves so much of it. But I'm also on this process of deconstructing things that may not be healthy. Um, Jen and I attend Central Avenue Church, and I've been so enriched and so blessed by Pastor Aaron's sermon series. They've just been so thought-provoking and so helpful in really examining some of these toxic things that we have been sort of taught to believe. And so this talk today is very much in line with that. Um, I do want to say before I start that my opinions about this show and about the purity culture are just that. They are my opinions and they're my thoughts and I bring them to you as an offering, something to think about and something to look over. Um, and I also say that again with trying to keep this in mind that no matter how critical it might feel that I might be today, I deeply, 100% love the church. Um, I grew up in the church. I am pursuing a job and a role in the church. I am pursuing a life of service in the church. I honestly don't know who I am without the church. And I say that conservative to liberals, I love all of us and I love who we are and I just love being in pursuit or being in the same room with people who love Jesus and who want to love him more. And so today is gonna be an effort to love the church from my point of view and um, to sort of deconstruct some things that I think are not so loving that we don't necessarily realize. Has anyone actually seen The Handmaid's Tale or seen the show or seen the series? It can be kind of traumatizing watching it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, The Handmaid's Tale, I'm gonna tilt this up just a little bit. The Handmaid's Tale is on Hulu is based off of Margaret Atwood's book called The Handmaid's Tale, and it's basically a dystopian view of what a um, strictly patriarchal America would look like that's rooted in, in the Christian faith. Um, it, the Christian faith is, it comes into play when they try to justify certain gender roles that they really hammer in there. Uh, if you're not familiar with the, this story, it is very much Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. That is very much the dynamic of this world, this little universe in The Handmaid's Tale. And so the Abrahams in the story are the commanders, the husbands. They have very high status in, that, in the land of Gilead, and that high status is sanctioned by the government. Um, the Sarahs in the story are the wives who are the models of purity and virtue. And the Hagars in the story were essentially women of questionable morals. They may have had um, a child out of wedlock or they may have been caught in an affair. Women of questionable morals who through childbearing in this land of Gilead will be saved. They will, they will, their salvation will be in their service to the country. Um, and so they are not there by choice. They are in this land of Gilead as handmaids, as slaves. And should they not want to be there, they will not 
be living any longer. It's a very challenging show and challenging thing to watch, but I encourage you to watch it, if only to just really see the, the importance of women's rights. It really singles that out and makes it obscenely clear, and I just think that it's a very helpful show for our time. Well, in the show, The Handmaid's Tale, there's this character named Aunt Lydia, and Aunt Lydia is the woman who manages the handmaids. She's very utilitarian, she wears an all brown uh, gown, she puts her hair back, she is notoriously cold, but she has the best of intentions, and it's to make these handmaids the best they can possibly be, so they can serve the commander and his wife as they are essentially used to make babies and to repopulate the world with good people. But Aunt Lydia is a very complicated character because even though she is cold, you, 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 you sort of like know she has good intentions, but you also cannot reconcile how cold she can be. She admonishes these handmaids and corrects them and encourages them, if only to get them to stay alive. And then she forces them to participate in an execution. There's a scene where she literally has them line up in rows and the handmaids are in teams and they're holding on to that kind of rope that you would hold on to when you were in elementary school in a tug of war um, field day kind of game. And on her count, they would pull that ro rope and remove the floorboard so the people hanging could fall. And they had to see it because it was her way of training them and her way of teaching them. And I say again, she might have had the best of intentions. Um, she thinks her intentions are good, but her character cannot see the irreversible harm that she's doing to these women and to these people. I believe the church suffers from what I call the Aunt Lydia syndrome, especially when it comes within the context of the purity culture and how we think about sexual ethics and how we think about marriage and gender roles, but definitely the purity culture. And we, in the sense that we're not fully doing the hard work of examining why we believe what we believe and where it comes from, and not really taking responsibility for the harm that it's causing. So to understand Aunt Lydia a little bit better, you have to sort of see season three. There is this episode where we're just sort of given her backstory. And in her backstory, this cold and heartless woman is actually a kindergarten teacher. She used to be a former family lawyer and now she's a kindergarten teacher. She is everything you want in the person taking care of your kids. She's warm, she's friendly, she's forgiving. She's compassionate, she's kind. She uh, takes on sort of mentoring this mother who has a hard time keeping a boyfriend, uh, doesn't really, she's a waitress. Um, she gets mistreated a lot at work, but she's trying her best to keep herself afloat for her little boy who's really intelligent and lovely. And so Aunt Lydia develops this friendship with this mother, um, and it's this really beautiful thing. Aunt Lydia also has a thing for her boss. She's got a crush on the principal, who clearly in the episode has a crush on her. And it's just adorable, it's really subtle, uh, but it's a part of Aunt Lydia's character you do not see until season three, and when you do, it's just refreshing and eye-opening. Well, 
um, part of her mentorship with this young mother, the young mother gives her for Christmas a gift of makeup, eyeshadows, you know, stuff. And, um, and she gives it to her, and Aunt Lydia is uh, unsure of it, but accepts it. And the young mother teaches her how to apply it and encourages her to go out there and to find someone. So she does. The next scene opens up in this lovely, really cool cocktail lounge with like sparkly, yeah, I love that, sparkly curtains. And, um, and she meets the principal there for a couple drinks. And it's this great, lovely date, and they have so much fun. There's this awkward, fun karaoke moment that we all need to do at once, one point in our lives. And, and um, she probably has a little too much to drink, but she's deliriously happy, and then she invites him back to her place. Again, this whole time, she's really unsure of herself, really scared. She's been so resistant to him for a long time, and she's opening up herself again. And so she invites him back to her place, and she starts kissing him and kissing him more. And things get a little too heated until she reaches for him and he pulls her away and says, not right now, too soon. That whole experience destroys, devastates Lydia. She feels like she's being completely and totally rejected. All of her fears that kept her from going out and finding someone just flood right in and she shuts down physically, she shuts down emotionally, and she just makes, asks him to leave. And in the next scene, she calls CPS on the mother and says that mother is so unfit and gets the kid taken out of his home and into foster care. She ties her hair back into a bun, strips her face of all makeup, and becomes the Aunt Lydia we see in the majority of the entire show. I feel like that was a perfect image of how the church has interpreted physical intimacy and sex for such a long time. We are so afraid of, of sex ruining us, of all the unintended consequences of what could happen, that we shut down, we repress, and we villainize other people who do not feel that way. Um, and if you're thinking, oh, Ashley, that was a TV show, and she was a little dramatic, that's not how most of us were trained or most of us were taught. Let me walk you through a couple Bible verses that support this kind of theology. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 35. Let me go. Chapter 4, verse 35 says, or first three through five, yeah, three through five. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornications, that each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for a similar passage about the same topic. Chapter six, verse 18. Shun fornication. 
Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Matthew 5, verse 29 through 30. Again, think about these verses within the context of physical intimacy and pleasure and what you've been told. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. This is how we sort of solve our unruly, the, the struggle we have with our unruly passions. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. Put to death, therefore, whatever is in you that is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. Those are really challenging and hurtful passages that essentially support self-hatred in a lot of ways. If taken literally, they support a sense of constant repression, constant rejection of who you are and what you feel and what you think. For those of us who grew up in the Reformed Evangelical Church, you might have seen this book called The Mortification of Sin. It's by one of the Puritans, John Owen. I love the Puritans. This one is a little challenging, okay? He talks about this verse, Colossians 3, verse 5. He says, Paul, in speaking to believers, thus challenges the Colossians to mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Then he, asks him, then he asks the reader, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? You must always be at it while you live. Do not take a day off from this work. Always be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. That is the theological foundation for what I call the Aunt Lydia syndrome, or the purity culture, one or the other. And, and, you know, I was looking at these passages this morning, and I didn't realize, my girlfriend helped me to realize that we should be treating these passages the way we treat the clobber passages in the LGBT community, really examining their context, really deconstructing them, because there's so much in there that we've just sort of swallowed and not realized that could be causing a lot of guilt and shame in this area. So... Yeah. I want to offer up to you something that I think, I want to offer up to you some sort of food for thought here. The purity culture doesn't really protect you from a lot. It's Aunt Lydia's rejection could be felt even in a marriage. You can feel rejected and isolated and lonely even in a marriage. So the purity culture doesn't necessarily protect you a lot, and it doesn't necessarily keep you from only feeling peace. We are human beings, and he, that who you are as a human being goes with you into marriage, 
It goes with you every, in every relationship. So much of our lives should be deepening our acceptance of our own humanity, not repressing it and not destroying it. And so the purity culture doesn't really keep you from being the experience of being human. It might numb it, and it might help you deny certain things in the name of scripture, but it doesn't necessarily keep you from feeling hurt sometimes. Aunt Lydia should have listened to the principal when he said, it's fine. She should have accepted the reality that some, sometimes people's minds change, even in the act. That this is what it means to be human, to be engaged and present, and to be accepting of who we are. So I want to offer up to you three solutions or three cures to this syndrome, if you want to think of it that way. The first one is I want to encourage you to literally sit down, no matter where you are on this journey, no matter what you believe, and write down your theology on pleasure. What do you believe and why? It doesn't have to be an essay. It doesn't have to be a book like me. Uh, but it will help. It'll help you really understand. And I would, offer, I, would, I would also encourage you to share that with someone, someone that you trust. Just be like, look, this is what I wrote because this woman at Mission Hill suggested it. I do want to encourage you, because you are in this room, because you are part of a church, to write that out and use the Bible verses that you need to support that. What is your theology on pleasure and what are the Bible verses that support that? How do you understand that biblically? I firmly believe that if you're going to change, do massive change in this country, a massive change in the body of Christ, you must begin with what we believe about God. So think about that. When you're writing your theology on pleasure, what do you believe about God? What is God's view of you as a human being, of you as a sexual being, of you as a person who is in a relationship? Does God have a loving gaze on you? Or is God a God of judgment? These are just things that, you, that I think would encourage everybody to work out. And whatever you believe is up to you. Uh, the second thing I want to encourage you to do is to develop inner boundaries. So obviously, we should all be working on outer boundaries. Don't touch me there. I don't like that. This is my apartment. You stay out. Or this is my cubicle, not your space. But having inner boundaries is, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what I think. You can say whatever you want. It doesn't change this. Or you can reject and change your, or change your mind about me. It doesn't change this. It doesn't change who I am. And so I think we definitely need to work as a community on developing inner boundaries. Um, a lot of this in the evangelical church is, is in sermons on your identity in Christ. And that's great. I love that. But what else? who else are you? You know, who else, who else are you outside of the church? Uh, as, a as someone who wants to be a pastor, one of my goals, one of my visions for ministry is developing a theology, developing a church that, is, that believes in integrating our faith with our lives, that focuses on wholeness, being who we are completely all the time. I really want that to be something that I help other people do. And I think that begins with having a strong sense of an inner boundary. This is who I am. 
And then number three, I want to encourage you to, and again, no matter where you are on this journey, prioritize maturity. Because you can be someone who has been sexually active for 50 years and not be mature in that area or in any area. But prioritizing maturity is something that we need to do, especially in LA, but especially in the church, especially as human beings. What does it mean to be mature in this area? What does it mean to be growing in patience, growing in kindness, growing in your acceptance of their yes and then their no and then their maybe and then their maybe tomorrow and I don't know. What does that mean to grow in that? We should be valuing maturity instead of like running away from it. And maturity is developed through challenges. It's developed through rigorous study. It's developed through strong inner boundaries. Um, I want to offer up to you a couple verses about pleasure in the Bible that we kind of don't really look at. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we have verse 12 through 13. I know that there is nothing better for them. This is Solomon talking. He's the writer of Ecclesiastes. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 20. For they will scarcely brood over their days of their lives because God keeps them occupied with the joy of their hearts. Do you see this emphasis of pleasure and joy and happiness? Uh, chapter 8, verse 15. So I commend enjoyment, for there is nothing better for people under the sun than to eat and drink and enjoy themselves, for this will go with them in their toil through the days of life that God gives them under the sun. I think these are important passages because I think what is enjoyable is different for all of us at different times of our lives. I mean, for crying out loud, at different times of the day, at different times of the week. But being connected to what brings us pleasure and what brings us joy only makes us more loving and more compassionate and more ready to engage other people. And so I just want to offer that up to you today as you think about your day and as you think about your life and also as you consider watching The Handmaid's Tale. And, and um, I just, I'm just so grateful that, um, that there is hope that we're not just sort of stuck in this kind of culture that we've been given, but that we can really work through together as a community what that looks like and how we can sort of deconstruct that. Would you take a moment with me to pray? Loving God, thank you. Thank you for TV shows that reflect back to us parts of our lives we may not be excited about exploring. Thank you for churches where we can come together and really embrace the essence of Christianity and our faith in you and grow in our own humanity and grow in our own acceptance of it. Thank you for people who are willing 
to help us along that journey and to meet us where we're at and to accept us wherever we are at. Lord, I pray that this offering would be a fruit for thought, food for thought, and that it would produce good fruit. And I pray that as we spend the rest of this time together, that you would continue to draw our hearts and minds to you. Bless us, bless our endeavors. In your name we pray, amen.